welcome. Thank you again for being here. I'm glad you're here this morning. We're going to conclude our series, week three of Fully Alive. Uh, when we started the series off, there's been a really interesting conversation about what it would look like if we could choose to live a life that's fully alive. Not, not a life that, where we kind of uh, uh, suffer and we never get the things that we really hope for out of life, not a life where we maybe don't reach our full potential like we want to reach, but what would it be like if we chose and if it were actually available to us to live a life that was actually fully alive? We start off by looking at this statement uh, by a guy named Jesus. Jesus said some pretty incredible things, mostly because he's Jesus. Um, but we looked at one of the statements he made, and this is found in the book of John. This is a really powerful statement. It's found in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says this, The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that's kind of a big statement. In week one, we, we unpacked that statement, and we actually looked at the second part of the verse. We kind of started at the end and then worked our way back. The end of the verse is really what we focus on, and that's Jesus saying that I have come that they, that means you, that's all of us. So it's not just the first century people he's writing to. It's not just his disciples in the Bible. It's all of us, that they, that you, that us, I have come that they or that we might have life and have it to the full. Not just experience a life, but to experience a fully alive life, to experience all that life has to offer for you, to experience a life that some of us maybe dream about, that some of us have thought about, but as we've kind of lived our lives and we've seen tragedies and we've suffered through things and, and we're kind of on the other side of that, we maybe don't, don't even think at this point that that is actually available to us, that kind of life, a life that we dream about living but that we don't always see in our reality. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. And not just that kind of life, but a fully alive life, a life to its fullness, a life with all the things that you have dreamed about. It's there for you. He, he followed that, that statement up, right? that statement kind of concluded this really weird illustration of sheep and sheep pens and shepherds. We went into that in week one, so I'm not going to go into it this week. <clears throat> but all of that to say that, that Jesus was kind of explaining that, that there is this life, there is this goodness, there is all of this, this grandness and all of these, these things that you kind of want out of life, but that the way to get to this kind of life is through the gate. And Jesus said that he was the gate, that Jesus said he is the gate to all of God's goodness, to that life that you want, to that life that you've dreamed about. There is a way to get there. It's not just a dream. It's not a figment of your imagination. It's not something that we strive for and we never see a reality. He said there is a life that you can have, this fully alive life, and there is a way to get there, and that is through me. I am the gate to all of God's goodness. And when we think about God's goodness, what do we often think about? I mean, when we think about the goodness of God, what are the things that kind of come to our minds? My, my guess is it's things like, like patience, it's things that, like, you know, we want to win, we want to be a success, we hope things go well, those kind of things. And, and, and th those are, are really good answers, but we don't have to guess at what the goodness of God looks like. As a matter of fact, there's a guy named Paul. He was a mercenary against Christianity, and then he became a missionary for Christianity when he had this incredible personal interaction with Jesus. Paul writes about what the goodness of God is. He calls this the fruits of the Spirit. And we looked at this. The fruits of the Spirit are what we would call God's goodness. And here's what they are. This is found in Galatians. Paul says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, the goodness of God, living this fully alive kind of life, here's what it looks like. It is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, that list is, is pretty incredible, isn't it? When you look at that list, that, that seems pretty incredible. I mean, just think for a minute, what would it look like if you just picked one of those things and applied it to your life? Well, how much would your life change if you just experienced one of those things on a daily basis? As a matter of fact, we're gonna, I'm going to ask for some participation in this because you all look a little tired today. I don't know if you were up watching the Notre Dame game. 
but you should have because it was a fantastic game. Um, Here's what I want you to do. I want everyone to pick your favorite fruit. And I'm not talking apples and bananas. I'm talking this list of fruit. I want you to to pick one out, and I'm going to ask for some participation. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. Can you guys do that? Do we need to take a break and you go get some coffee? All right, let's do this. Ready? Whose favorite fruit is peace? Just by showing your hands. If you could choose peace in your life, who would choose peace? There's, There's a few of us. That's good. Don't be ashamed of that. You should get peace. Peace is for you. What about patience? If a few of you could choose patience, who would choose? I, I bet every parent, and if your hand isn't up, then you're lying. Every parent says, I need a little bit more patience. I would love to have a little bit more patience. And if you're a parent of teenagers, your hand needs to go up. I know what that's like. I was a teenager. Whatever your favorite fruit is, we all have one. We all have one that we want to see. We have one that maybe we lean toward that we'd love to experience. Maybe, you know, you see love and you're that hopeless romantic. I would just like to have love. Whatever it might be, we all have a favorite fruit. But here's the thing. We often look at this and think, if I could just have that one thing, if I could just have life, almost like like it's a picking and choosing, right? Like if I could just have that one thing, I don't have to worry about the rest. But here's this incredible thing about this list. When God kind of developed this list and gave it to that author, Paul, that man, it wasn't like God was saying, hey, just pick and choose one of these and you're good. God was saying, I want all of these for you all the time. That the goodness of God is fully available to you, full time. You don't have to pick and choose. We don't have to live a life like where where occasionally we have joy and occasionally we have some peace. And maybe occasionally when our kids go to bed, there's some patience. Like you can have that kind of stuff all the time. And you can have all of these. I mean, what would it look like if, if our lives, if we had all of these things? What would it look like if you actually had joy from morning to morning to morning? What would it look like if you had gentleness? What would it look like if you had self-control? Right? You, you, go, to, you go to the buffet, and I practice some self-control. But then I went back, and they had a chocolate fountain, and it's like, ugh. What would it look like if everything that was on this list was fully available to you, and not just fully available to you, but what if it was actually in your life? What if it was actually not just like a part of your life occasionally, but it was your life? How radically would your life change? You see, you don't have to have these from time to time. And that's this, the, the incredible thing about what we've been talking about, about living this kind of fully alive life, and that this isn't an occasional thing. This is what God chose for you. The problem for us is that we don't often see it play out, do we? Is that we realize that occasionally we have joy, but then something happens and our joy is robbed. And then occasionally we have some peace, and then our life kind of, kind of changes and we don't have peace anymore. You see, that's because of the first part of the verse. Jesus actually explained that to that, and that's what we looked at last week. The first part of the verse says this, that a thief comes to steal, to steal maybe our great opportunity, to rob from us all the things that are good, to kill any chance we have of experiencing a fully alive life. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy our hopes of living a fully alive life. You see, Jesus kind of understood that, that between you and this fully alive life, there is something that stands in opposition There is something that stands in the way of you experiencing that fully alive life, the life that all of us dream about, the life that all of us would say, that's what I want. That's what I want for me. It's what I want for my spouse. It's what I want for my kids and and my grandkids. There's something that stands in the way, and that thing that stands in the way is a thief. Now, last week we talked about this, and it took me like 40 minutes to unpack it, so I, I won't do that again this week. But what we discovered last week is that the thief really is our unbelief. 
That, that everything that we, we kind of go through in life has this kind of spiritual connection, that everything has this, this spiritual kind of foundation, that to some degree, everything is spiritual. And when it comes to, to us experiencing this kind of life, what we really see is that the thief is really our unbelief, that we just don't believe that God is who he says he is, that we don't believe that this kind of fully alive life is available to us full time. And because of our unbelief, we don't experience the life that God would have chosen for us. But my assumption is, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong this morning, my assumption is that we'd all prefer to experience a fully alive life full-time, wouldn't we? We wouldn't choose part-time, but kind of in our thinking, it's like, well, part-time's better than no time. But if it were fully available, wouldn't we all choose to live a fully alive life all the time, to experience the love and the joy, the peace, to respond in gentleness and kindness, to be able to practice self-control and patience? We would choose that, but we don't see it. Because of our unbelief. And as we kind of go through our life, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because our, our, life, our life's forever changing. You know, we'll experience joy, and then our kids get up, and our joy's robbed. And we'll experience patience, and then our car breaks down, and patience, you know, it's, it's out the window. It's because our life doesn't stay the same, does it? Our circumstances are always changing, right? Our experience just keeps changing all the time, and that's really what keeps us from kind of living that fully alive life everything's kind of changing. And when we think we have it figured out, when we think we're where we want to be, when we think we have the joy that we want to have, something comes along and robs it from us. Something comes along and kind of thieves it from us, doesn't it? About a year ago, my wife was in a, a really bad car accident. She was in our, um, she was traveling with our girls and someone rear-ended her and, and totaled our minivan. We had a minivan. I wasn't really proud of having a minivan, but, but they hit it really hard and we brought the minivan to the shop <clears throat> and the guy who was super nice, he comes out and he looks at the minivan and and he says, hey, he says, I, I don't know how you guys like, survived this without any injuries. This thing is never making it on the road. We'll give you a, a, another replacement car, but this thing's never going to make it back on the road. So we went back into the rental office, and we're talking to, to the people at the counter, and they give us the key to a vehicle, and they know we need something large because we have three kids, and with three young kids come three car seats. And all of you parents, you know how like, insurmountably large those car seats are. You can't like, have a small vehicle. You need like a large so we go out, they don't have a minivan, thank God, they give us the keys to a Nissan Pathfinder. And we get in and we kind of load these kids in the Nissan Pathfinder. It's, it's a little tighter than our minivan is, but, but it's not a minivan, right? So I'm, I'm stoked. I get in and it's like fully loaded. There's this monstrous moonroof and, and like, it, it's just incredible. And I drive off the lot, I mean like immediately, I drive off the lot like, cooler than I ever was. Like, it was just like life was going so well. Like, somehow I looked better, and I was like 6'4", and, and trimmed down, and I was like one of those cool people driving, you know, the seven-seater SUVs. I wasn't that, like, lame, you know, wannabe dad in a minivan. And if, you know, I'm joking a little bit. If you have a minivan, I'm not knocking you. I just don't want to have a minivan. I'm a little ashamed of it. So I'm in this, this like, seven-seater SUV, and it, like, life is going well. And here's the thing. Uh, like, for a week, I owned it. I know I was posing. I know it wasn't mine. But for a week, I owned it, and I loved it. But then the, the inevitable happens, right? Life doesn't stay the way it, it, it is. That experience begins to change. A week later, I get a call. Sure enough, the vehicle's totaled. The check's in the mail. And guess what? You got, Jim, you have to return the vehicle to the rental office. And I'm like, no habla inglés. <laughs> so we bring the car, the van back, or the, the Nissan Pathfinder back, and, you know, I get in my my broke minivan, and immediately feel like the uncool dad again. And, and, and as silly as this might seem to, to us as we kind of like run through that story, it, as silly as it might seem, the truth is, <clears throat> for a moment, I experienced joy. 
For a moment, I experienced the life I wanted to have. And then life changed. And life changed without my permission. Life changed without my authority. Life changed without my knowledge. And the joy was robbed from us. And so often in our lives, that's where we kind of find ourselves. We'll experience one of these streets. We'll experience the, the, the peace or the joy. We'll experience the patience. And then life changes, and we're not where we want to be. We're not experiencing that. So from time to time, we might experience what we would call a fully alive life, but we don't experience it full time. We experience it part time. But what I want to pose to you this morning is that there is a way for you to experience a fully alive life full time. The question is how? And my guess is that if it were available to you, you'd want to know. And you'd want to choose it because all of us want to experience that. No one wants to wake up and be angry. No one wants, at least I hope not. None of us want to feel that way. We want to experience what could be a fully alive life full time. But very few of us find it. See, what we really end up finding is that the fruit of the Spirit for us, especially if you're a Christian, the fruit of the Spirit starts to feel more like the fruit of our circumstances. That depending on what our circumstances are, it really depends on how we're feeling. And that depends on what we're experiencing for a fully alive life. That gentleness might come, but gentleness goes. That kindness comes, and then someone cuts me off, and kindness goes. See, but I think there's a way for us to experience it where it is with us all the time, and it never leaves. You see, discovering the fruit is great, but maintaining it is really the key. So how can we ensure, how can we ensure that the fruit of the Spirit <clears throat> is always in season? that the fruit of the Spirit is always available to us. We're going to go to what I think is a great passage of Scripture. It's something that I think uh, this question is even a de- like a deeply kind of spiritual question. So we're going to go to the most spiritual man that I know of, Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus is, is this, this incredible man. We, we say this all the time, that if, if someone can predict his own death, burial, and resurrection, then you just kind of go with that guy, right? Like, if somebody can do that, let, you got to take what he says seriously. Jesus says something serious about this. As a matter of fact, it's just a few days before his crucifixion, before he knows he's going to die. But, but the cool thing is he also knows that he's going to come back. Three days later, you know, the story doesn't end there. Three days later, he comes back to life. But a few weeks after he comes back alive, he goes away, and he goes away for good. And he's kind of looking at all this kind of ragtag group of disciples that he's gathered, and he's thinking, <clears throat> in a few days, I'm going to be separated from them. How are they going to survive without me? How are they going to keep going? How are they going to continue to live this life that I've kind of laid out for them when I go away? So it, with that in mind, he begins to kind of lay the foundation, lay out the steps of what it would look like for somebody who believes in Jesus to live the life that he's actually kind of laid out, that fully alive life, what it would look like. So he says this. This is found in John chapter 15. That's the same book of the Bible that we've been in the whole time. He says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now a quick pause for this. Um, when he made this statement, I know this doesn't seem like a big statement to us, but he was making this statement to his disciples. They're c- kind of caught off guard, like, Jesus, that, that's a big statement for you to be making. Because in, in this culture, with this civilization, they grew up with the Old Testament. They grew up, you remember we talked about this in, in the past few weeks, about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob who becomes Israel. Israel becomes the father of the nation of Israel, the, the, the Israelite people. That was considered the vine. In the Old Testament, that's referred to as the vine. They're thinking, I'm an Israelite, I'm a Hebrew, I'm part of the vine. And Jesus says, no, 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 that, that was old, that was kind of the old way of doing things. I'm here, I'm making things new. In a few days, actually, I'm going to change all of this. You used 
used to think that you were kind of birthed into the vine, right? That you had to be an Israelite or a Hebrew, and that came by birth. You thought you had to be birthed into the vine, but I'm telling you, it's no longer that way anymore. You get to believe into the vine. You get to trust, and when you become part of that, he says, I am the vine, and all you have to do is believe with me to be part of what's going on there. It's no longer by birthright. It's no longer by nationality. It's no longer Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes all the way down. It now starts with me. I am the true vine. That's a powerful statement. I am the true vine. And then he goes on. And this is really interesting. God is the gardener and he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, a quick confession. I'm not a, a a very good gardener at all. Anything that we have that's green eventually dies. As a matter of fact, if we're buying plants and bringing them back from the store, you can almost hear them screaming in the back seat because it's like, it's a death sentence. It's capital punishment. I don't have a green thumb. It doesn't go well. My wife will send me out to trim basil, and sure enough, I'll take some leaves off, and the next day, it's brown and dead. I don't know how to garden well. I'm not a very good gardener. If you drive by my house and anything's green, it's because my wife has cared for it. Eventually, it will die because I'm there. that's just how I am. So I don't know much about this. I don't know much about gardening, but I did some research. I asked the experts. I googled uh, um, what gardening was like and what this actually means, and I found some really, really interesting things. That the gardener's job, and you probably know this, the gardener's job is to care for what's green, to care for plants, to care for, in this case, the vine. And that all of the, the things that are around the vine, life, weather, sun, and shade, they all change. And it's the gardener's responsibility to continue to nurture that plant or that vine so that it grows regardless of what's going on on the outside, regardless of life's changing experiences. And the gardener, like he said here, he'll trim off all of the dead branches because all of the dead branches do is they throw shade on all the good branches. You you wonder where they got that that, uh, line from? That's where they got it from. That was the Jesus line. The, the bad branches or the dead branches, they throw shade on the good branches and keep the good branches from growing. So you have to trim back the bad branches. And when you trim them back, you know what all the dead bad branches are good for? Firewood. That's it. They have no other value except to be burned up. But they do that so that the good branches can grow, so that nutrition can grow. Because if the bad branches are there, the nutrition is stunted. The, the good branches can't grow. But here's what I also found that's interesting, is when it comes to the good branches, they continue to prune back the good branches. A gardener knows how to prune it back so that it can bear more fruit. You'll see this sometimes with like rose bushes. They'll trim off like one of the blossoms because they know that the nutrition has to continue to make the vine strong or the branch strong so that it can bear more fruit in the future. future. And that anything, you get tongue-tied, the more you talk. At least you guys are awake now. So I, just, I threw that in. You guys are, are rolling with me. Good job. <laughs> <clears throat> the more they trim back, the healthier the branch can be. And the more nutrition will make the branch stronger. And the stronger the branch is, the more fruit it can produce. And if the goal of the branch, or in this case, the, the goal of the vine, is to produce more fruit, then the more pruning needs to be done so that that can be healthy and that can be strong and the more fruit can be produced from it. You see, a plant produces more fruit when the nutrition is directed at fruit production. So the dead branches have to be trimmed. Even the healthy branches have to be pruned so that it can produce more fruit. Now, I know you didn't think you were coming to church and getting like a, a horticultural lesson, but you need to understand this, that this, when Jesus made this statement to the disciples, this is an agrarian society. They understood this. They knew exactly what he was talking about because they grew up this way. They understood farming and plants, and they all had green thumbs. 
but we often don't understand what exactly this means. So he's making this statement to the disciples. And, and imagine, he knows in a few days I'm leaving, in a few days I'm gone, and we're going to kind of be separated. But I want you to be strong, and I want you to be happy, and I want you to live the life that you can live. So here's what I want you to do. Remain in me. Remain in me. Or maybe you've heard this in a different translation. Say, abide in me, or live in me. Remain in me <clears throat> as I also remain in you. Because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, and what's the word? Nothing. A branch separated from the vine can do nothing. A branch separated from the vine isn't worth anything but firewood. Remain in me, and you'll bring forth fruit. Remain in me, and you'll see life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's like a branch looking back at the vine and saying, hey, I appreciate you, you did a good job, but I don't need you anymore. I can grow the grapes on my own. Just like go off and do something else, just go away and die. I'm good on my own. A branch can't do that. A branch needs to stay connected to the vine to bear much fruit. If the vine and the branch are separated, fruit isn't produced. The branch can't get its nutrition. The branch can't bring forth what it was supposed to bring forth. He says, if I am the true vine and you are the branch, there is a way for you to experience the goodness of God, the fruit of the Spirit that we've talked about, to live a life fully alive, full time. And the way to do that, the way to experience that, is to remain in me or to stay connected to me. Now, if Jesus, I, I think if Jesus were alive today and he were like in somewhere like in Northern California or France, he probably would have used this vineyard illustration because that's, that's wine country and everyone understands vineyards. But my guess is, is that if he were here with us, he might use, use something like this, right? Like these incredible small devices. This device is so incredibly powerful. I'm going to date myself a little bit, but you might remember just a few decades ago, to do what this device can do, you would have had to fill an entire auditorium. You would have to build an auditorium this size, fill it with state-of-the-art computers, and it probably would have cost as much as an auditorium cost to make it, to do what this device can do. And this device is incredibly powerful. It allows you to communicate to people in like 14 different ways. You can text, and you can chat, and you can iMessage. I didn't know, you might not know this, but you can actually call, like make a call on this thing, like talk to someone. It's amazing. And now technology has gone even further where you can FaceTime. And I was able to video chat with my dad who was in like the remote jungles of Africa. Like what this device can do is incredibly powerful. And it doesn't just stop there. It takes incredible pictures like, and this isn't an ad for phones, but think about how powerful this device is. Like we used to carry on Polaroid cameras and get like these little instant shots that you could barely make anything out. This takes like high quality 4K video and pictures and super slow-mo. This device is incredibly powerful, and some of us might even say the device could really be considered fruitful. It's incredible. But what happens if we use this device too long without plugging it in? It begins to die. Right? I mean, that's what you need, right? You need, you need to charge it eventually. You need to plug it back in so that it can get its power. Ask any teenager, right? Data use destroys your battery life on your phone. And the maker knows it so that it warns you, hey, you're at 20%, you should think about plugging your phone in. You keep using it because you know, you're playing Candy Crush or, or you're chatting someone up on, on Instagram, whatever it might be, and it gives you even a sterner warning. Hey, you're at 10%, you should think about going into low battery mode, right? 
We don't do it. We continue to use it until eventually the battery dies and, and what's the phone worth? Nothing. It's useless. Its power's gone and dead. Its fruitfulness is now invaluable because it didn't stay plugged in. You see, it's, it's the same way with our life. Over a period of time, we can kind of separate ourselves from Jesus. But the longer you're apart, the more your battery begins to drain. And the minute you unplug, the draining starts. And if we're not careful and we don't plug back into what's going on and plug back into Jesus, if we don't remain in Him, our battery ends up on empty. And we feel useless. You see, for all of us, to some degree, we need to remain plugged back in. Our battery needs to be charged. We need to find a way to remain in Him and for Him to remain in us. We need to find a way to figuratively plug back into our power source to charge our battery so that we can remain fruitful. But how do we do that? How do we remain in Him? See, we remain in Him by staying connected. And really, we're going to stay connected by, by doing two things. And these two things, I know uh, for, all, for a lot of us, they, they seem challenging, um, but I don't think that they're as challenging. For, for us, as we kind of remain in Him, we're going to learn... Um, what it means to, to practice what we would call a spiritual discipline. And I know we don't like that word. I grew up in church. If you grew up in church like I did, you hear those words and it kind of makes you shudder a little bit. No one, no one likes hearing those words, do they? I, I grew up kind of, I, I was actually kind of in church nine months before I was born. So when I say I'm a church person, I was legitimately like a, a for-life church person. And when they would talk about, about spiritual disciplines, it just kind of creeped me out because it sounded like, like work. Right? It sounded like a chore, and I don't like chores. I don't know about you, but I didn't like making my bed. I still don't like making my bed. I don't like taking out the trash. I still don't like taking out the trash. Who wants to think about, about having like this chore list almost to remain connected to God, to stay, to stay connected to your power source? No one wants to think of it that way. And because we've kind of verbalized it and worded it that way, people get scared of it. People kind of pull away from it because it sounds so incredibly intimidating. But the truth is it was never meant to be that way. Remaining connected to your heavenly Father, remaining connected to Jesus, living a life that's fully alive was never supposed to be difficult. It was never supposed to feel like a chore. Really, it wasn't supposed to feel like a discipline. But we've made it that. We've made it difficult and we've made it uncomfortable. This morning, I want to dispel some of those things. There are two ways for you to remain connected to Jesus. There are two ways for you to be a branch that's connected to the vine so that you can bring forth the fruitfulness, the goodness of God, the life that you've always wanted. And the first way we do that is talking with him. The second way is reading about him. The first thing we do is talking with him. And really, this is just the church way of saying we want you to pray. And when we think about prayer, we get a little intimidated by that. And I know that because I lead small groups. And when I lead a small group, at the end of the group, almost it's always like the most awkward 10 minutes where you kind of put it forward to people. Hey, does anybody want to pray? And everyone kind of puts their head down. I'm like, I don't think I heard that one. I think my kid's crying. But you don't have any kids. Yeah, I, I got to go. I, I, somebody needs me somewhere. I, I'm out. It's like the most awkward 10 minutes because nobody wants to do it because it seems incredibly intimidating. But it was never supposed to be intimidating. And it was never supposed to be awkward for you to talk to your Heavenly Father. It, that's really what prayer is, you talking to your Heavenly Father. So when you think about prayer, here are two things I want you to do when it comes to you spending time praying and talking to your Heavenly Father. I want you to tell Him what you're thankful for, and I want, him to I want you to tell Him what's on your mind. Tell them what you're thankful for and then tell them what's on your mind. 
That's like the easiest way to do it. Thank him. Realize that what we have, the things that we're thankful for, come from him anyway. So thank him for it. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my house. I, I, like at night, sometimes I run my kids through a list of things because they always thank him for the same thing. You know, like what are you thankful for? And begin to thank him for it. God, thank you for giving me a, you know, a gorgeous wife or a handsome husband or three kids that even though they stress me out, I find so much joy in. Thank you for a car that drives, even though it's a broke, kind of sad, sorry minivan. At least it's a van. At least it's a vehicle. Thank you for a house that, that protects us from you know, snow in November. Whatever it might be, find something to thank him for. Talk to him. He wants to hear you. Thank him and then tell him what you're thinking about. What's on your mind? What's bothering you? That's how relationships go, right? When you, when you built a relationship with your child or with your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, what did you do? You spent time talking. He wants to hear from you. Tell him what's on your mind. Tell him what you're thankful for. Tell him the things that have been bothering you. I'm just frustrated with work. I'm just, just, I don't like the way my husband's treating me. I don't like the way my wife looks at me when I get home. He wants to know what's on your mind. Tell him what you're thankful for. Tell him what you're thinking about. Tell him you're happy for that job, even though it feels like, you know, it sucks the life out of you. That's how we pray. Tell him what you're thankful for. Tell him what you're thinking about. And then the second thing we do is we read about him. And that's what the Bible is. We get so intimidated by this book because it's really thick. It's like two Harry Potter volumes and it's really small print and we're all kind of scared to open it up. That's because we've made the Bible so intimidating. I don't know if you know this, the Bible isn't even a book. The Bible is a collection of 66 ancient documents and manuscripts. It's full of history and poetry and prophecy and this biography of like this incredible life of Jesus and what he did. And then two-thirds of the New Testament were actually letters written by that guy named Paul that we talked about. Paul wrote letters to other first century Christians on how they live and how they walk through life. It's not meant to be intimidating, but it is really intimidating for us, isn't it? And, and when you pick up the Bible, it's all this fine print and, and you don't know where to start because people tell you to start, you know, don't start at the end or the, the, the beginning. You want to start closer to the end and we wouldn't do that in a normal book, but the good thing is the Bible isn't a normal book. So here's what I want you to do. If you start reading, start in the book of John. That's a great place to start. If you start in Genesis, you're going to get this really amazing story and it's going to be awesome. And then like two books later, you're going to be totally confused with what's going on. Start in, in, in the New Testament. Start with the life of Jesus. Begin to read through that. And, and you don't have to read a lot. Like we think we have, we have to read all of it now. I just, I just have to consume everything. Read a verse. Read like, like just a few verses. When the guys who put the, the Bible together, they took chapters and, and simplified these books into chapters. Then they simplified them into sections. And then they simplified them into verses. Read a verse. The goal of this isn't to like read all about Jesus by Thursday. The goal of this is to read a little bit about Jesus every day. And then when you finish John, go on to Matthew and Mark or Luke or read one of those letters that Paul wrote to, to the first century Christians. And then eventually circle back around and go through Genesis and Exodus and read up through the Old Testament because all of that's good and that's history and that's important for the story. But we make the Bible so incredibly intimidating and it shouldn't be that way. It should be so inspiring and available to you. And in this culture it is. I don't know if you know this, but if you don't have a Bible, you can get one in the back or just get one on your phone. Every one of us at the church here, we use an app called the YouVersion app. There, if you should just search Bible in, in your uh, app, like, app store, that's the first one that comes up. And in there, there, there are plans written by thousands of people, little devotionals that you can read. There are verses of the days. And if you enable push notifications, it'll remind you every morning to pick up and read. 
anytime you want. When we think of spiritual disciplines, we think like, you know, it's got to be so early, like 3.30 in the morning and the sun then isn't up, but, but you've got to be up and you've got to read and spend hours doing it. Read a verse a day. Start with a verse a day. And as you begin to read, you might want to put more time into it. But it doesn't have to be as intimidating as we make it. It's not hard for us to stay connected to our vine. But we make it intimidating and we made it hard. And it was never supposed to be that way. It was supposed to be easy for us to stay connected. Jesus said that. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Being with me shouldn't be difficult. But you've got to make the time. Start with a verse a day. Start with saying just a few words. Tell them what you're thankful for. Tell them what's on your mind. Remain connected to me. And you will bring forth much fruit. Remain connected to me. And the life that you've always dreamed about will be fully available to you, full time. All the goodness of God, all the fruits of the Spirit, they were made for you. All we have to do is remain connected to the one who provides it. Remain in him, and he will remain in you. Read and talk to him. See, the hard thing for us when we start this process, though, is, is that something's going to begin to fight back. Jesus always talked about when you begin to make good steps, something bad always comes out of it, or something bad kind of attacks you because of it. In the same kind of sense, when we start making these steps and we start reading and we start praying, there's going to be that one thing that kind of attacks your progress, and that thing is pride. Pride begins to make you feel like, like maybe you're beginning to see these results in your life, maybe the, the fruit you're beginning to see is all because of you, and maybe you don't have to work as hard. Maybe I don't have to pray as much. Maybe I don't have to read as much. Maybe I can unplug a little bit. Maybe I can take a break. And then we begin to take steps back and we begin to unplug. We begin to detach from the vine. And all of the goodness that was started begins to fade away. Don't allow pride to derail you from what Jesus wants to do in you. He said, I have come that you might have life and that you would have it to the full that you would have the life you've always dreamed of, and all you have to do is remain in me. And if you remain in me and I in you, the fully alive life that we've dreamt about is yours for the taking. I have come that you might have life, and you might have it to its full. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words of Jesus. I thank you for how incredibly powerful they are and how they, it just kind of, kind of uncovers our life and what we deal with. And even though this happened thousands of years ago, God, it's, it's the same thing that we struggle with today. God, I pray for every person here as, as we can begin to make those steps to remain in you, God, as we begin to even practice th these, if you would, spiritual disciplines, God, of, of reading and praying, of talking with you, God, and of knowing more about you. I pray that you would make yourself even more real to us. And more than that, God, that we would begin to see the fruit of the Spirit, the goodness of God, become evident in our life. That we would reach the fully alive life that you've promised us. Life to its fullest. And that we would see it all the time. Not from time to time, God, but it would be the thing that marks our life. A fully alive life. Living the life we've always wanted. I thank you for this, Lord. I thank you for the wisdom that you've given us in your word. I pray for the courage to work it out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.